This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I am Jethro Jones coming to you from actually this week, Dallas, Texas. I am the host of the podcast, Transformative Principal and author of the book, School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. I am a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in the same old location of New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently, Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. Buoyancy Digital is proud to be the inaugural mission partner for Cybertraps Podcast, a digital advertising consultancy with an ethos. Buoyancy was founded by Scott Rabinowitz, who has been in digital media since 1997 and has overseen 300 million in youth safety compliant advice across all digital platforms. For IAB, Google, and being accredited brand and audience safe sales solutions, media buying and organizational training for media publishers, chat with Scott at Buoyancy Digital at buoyancydigital.com or at Scott R Media on LinkedIn. Greetings there, Jethro. Hello, how you doing, Fred? I am doing fine, and I must say you look fairly relaxed. So this oh, looks like a was a good trip for you. <laughs> yes, it's been uh, we're on vacation this week, and uh, my my wife said no work meetings except for 
this Cyber Traps <laughs> podcast and the coaching uh, that I do with principals. So three hours of work is all I've been allowed for this whole week. And I must say, taking a break every once in a while is actually a really good idea. So if you, uh, if anybody out there has not done it yet, I would suggest, you know, scheduling some time to just disconnect and not, not do things. It's actually pretty enjoyable. Well, my version of that, as you and I have briefly discussed, will be moving in three weeks when oh, yeah. my location will shift to the more ambulance and, and fire truck laden world of New York City. Yeah. So uh, the background noise will change. But, you know, whatever. It's, um, it's good to have a chance to change things up a little bit. What have you been up to apart from vacation? How's, how's things going? Uh, you know, things are going well. I had, uh, um, I mentioned that I did that, um, that thing with a church group and they've said they want it in more places. So we'll be scheduling some more of those opportunities to talk about, um, keeping your kids safe online. And that's, that's pretty exciting. So it's good to get positive feedback and to hear that it's actually beneficial to people. So what's, what's been going on with you? Well, I think since we last talked, I did the panel discussion version of social media for educators, and the folks at the Georgia Professional Standards Commission rounded up three really terrific, I guess I would call them guests for the purposes Mm -hmm. of our, our conversation. And we had a really nice discussion coming at it from a bunch of different angles. We looked at it Uh, from the perspective of higher education and law. We had a law professor um, on to talk about some of the issues that arise. Uh, We had an HR director, which was huge because, of course, HR deals with social media and educators all the time. And then we had a coach and teacher in a middle school in Georgia discussing the rules that he has for his players and um, for you know, the students in his class and, and how that affects the way that he approaches teaching in general. So it's, it was an excellent discussion. And actually, there's a possibility that we may get to release the audio of that as a special episode of the Cybertraps podcast. And obviously, if that happens, uh, it'll be good for people to hear what we were doing. Well, and it's so beneficial when you're talking with different people and different uh, roles and seeing the perspective that they have, which is obviously different than than other people. And a coach and how they deal with things is certainly much different than, you know, an HR director. And I think that that's really important. So I'm glad you were able to do that. I'm excited to listen to that myself. And hopefully we can find a way to help more people listen to it as well. Yeah, we'll we'll know that fairly shortly. So hopefully yeah. next week we can announce that that's happening. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that, that'll be the episode we release when we're, uh, uh, when you're in the middle of moving, which by the way, is not a relaxing <laughs> thing to do. So, well, it's a better alternative than my screaming into the mic about the process. Of moving. <laughs> so true. in any case, um, you know, just as a quick heads up, uh, the folks in Georgia have asked me to do uh, two more, um, which will occur actually before the move actually takes place. And in that particular situation, we're going to be focusing on the ethics of remote learning. And needless to say, we're hopeful that the pandemic is coming to an end. But there seems to be a consensus that remote learning will continue to one degree or another. And you and I have talked about this as well. So the ethical issues that arise, um, and we'll be talking a fair amount, as you might imagine, about the model code of 
ethics for educators, um, the ethical issues that arise will still be relevant going forward. And it's good to have a chance to really hash out some of those now uh, before folks get into trouble. Yeah, for sure. And I absolutely agree that distance or remote or virtual or whatever you want to call it, learning is still going to happen. And I think that it's actually going to be unethical for schools not to provide that to families. So I think that that's an area where Mm. if we have the ability to do it, we definitely should to make it easier for families to access the content that they need. So that's, you know, Jethro, actually, I want to hold on to that. Um, That that's an interesting kind of overarching ethical consideration, right? The Mm -hmm. ethics of the institution of teaching or Mm -hmm. the organization, the school district to incorporate that into their offerings, their platform to perhaps bridge some of the digital divide that's out there. And not just bridge the digital divide, but also just to make things better for families. And for some people, it's just better that they have an online option. So I think I've shared this before. I'm not, I can't totally remember if I have or not on this podcast. But one of the things that I noticed as a teacher was that I would have students who would go on vacation. And um, when they were on vacation, then they did not have um, access to what we were doing in school. So I designed my class so that they would continue to have access. One, so that I wouldn't have to do all the annoying work of helping kids catch up when they were gone, which is super annoying right. as a teacher. But then <laughs> two, so that even if somebody was sick or injured or um, was on vacation, they could still access what we were doing in class. And this was, you know, way more than a decade ago that that I was doing this. And mm. the technology was there then, and it's even more available at this point. So. Anyway, we can save that discussion for another time, but that's something I I feel pretty strongly about. Let's get into our topic for today, which I'm also really excited about, which is um, this course that we just released called Raising Cyberethical Kids, an audio course, which is based on the book you wrote last year, uh, Raising Cyberethical Kids, um, which is a fantastic book about creating a family acceptable use policy. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about that book? And Yeah, that's... That's easy to do. It's it's a good opportunity to give a shout out to the Alaska Society for Technology and Education. Uh, obviously, we had the executive director, Jeannie Seidler, on in one of our earlier episodes of the podcast, actually talking about virtual or distance learning. Um, and more specifically than that, the fact that working with ASTI gave me an opportunity to meet Keith and Kathy Zamudio. Uh, who are educators up in Alaska. I actually think you know at least one, if not both of them. And um, Keith was for years the head of the information technology department in Cordova, which is a small town on the southern coast of Alaska. It's it's actually, just as an aside, amazing to me that I know where any of these places are, being an East Coast boy. Uh, yeah, but no that kidding. being... <laughs> <laughs> that being said, um, during my many conversations with Keith and some of the other folks up in Alaska, um, I learned that this idea of a family acceptable use policy was something that Keith had implemented with his family and had helped to spread around the Alaska you know, ed tech community. 
And it really intrigued me and it kind of percolated in the back of my head for a while. And I had actually done a draft of this fairly quickly after meeting Keith and then put it aside for a while because there was some concern about whether it conflicted with the work I had done for Cyber Traps for the Young. And so I just shelved uh, raising cyber ethical kids. And of course, now, you know, Cyber Traps for the Young is a decade old and it is kind of on the update list as it is. But it seemed like a good opportunity during the pandemic to haul raising cyber ethical kids out of mothballs and update it and really finish it, which is, you know, what I did. And then when you and I got started uh, in terms of doing this podcast, I think you saw the potential of this book to do uh, or to serve as the basis of a standalone audio course. And, you know, obviously that's all on you because I couldn't have figured out <laughs> easily how to do that. But it's it was a really cool process to go through. And I'll be interested to see how people react to it as opposed or as compared to the book. Yeah. Well, let me tell a little bit about why I thought it was so important for the book to be released, but then also for the audio course that we created to be released as well, because mm -hmm. it's one of those things that if you, if you think about as a parent creating a family acceptable use policy, it seems completely overwhelming. And it seems like there's no way that I can do this. I have kids of all different ages. They're going to need different things and it's going to be too difficult to even approach. And then I'm going to have some documents sitting around that I'm going to have to adhere to and follow. And it just sounds like an awful experience. But what I appreciated <laughs> from, from the book is that you made it approachable and accessible. And I thought that was really important. And then as we were talking about doing the, the audio course, we saw ways that we could enhance that a little bit through conversation to give examples and stories and illustrations. And certainly from my experience as a principal, being able to bring some of those things in that other people may not have thought about as mm. they're, as they're thinking about how their kids are going to interact with technology, but things that I saw as a principal come from how families were interacting with technology. So I think the idea of having a family accessible use policy is vital to our success and not just because it's good to have something documented that this is what we're doing, but more importantly, that you, it enables you to have the conversations about what we can and should be doing on the internet, which I think is the most important part of it. Well, it's an interesting um, process to go through, right? Because obviously I come from a legal background and I have had some people react to the concept of a family acceptable use policy as if it's some kind of employment act for attorneys. And you know, it, it, the absolute reassurance that we need to offer parents is that there's nothing about this that requires you to go find an attorney to help you draft it. It is absolutely a straightforward framework, as you say, for having discussions with your children about what values you have as a family and how you're going to implement those when it comes to technology. And, you know, I think that the main takeaway that we're trying to give people in this audio course is an awareness that you need to have those conversations affirmatively. It, mm -hmm. Kids just can't, that this is not something kids just absorb, you know, in terms of growing up, that, that it, 
a much more proactive approach to dealing with the concepts of virtue and wisdom and so forth online is needed. And this is actually a good opportunity to give people a heads up for the uh, interview that we're releasing on Thursday, which is our chat with Dr. Tom Harrison from the University of Birmingham, who's done a lot of work in this area of how you develop and, um, and instill your children with a sense of virtue, a sense of wisdom online. So mm-hmm. I think that these shows go together really well, and I look forward to people's reaction to that. Well, and what I love about the way that we're releasing these two things is the the conversation on Thursday's episode with Dr. Tom Harrison is really going to be a fantastic tie-in because he talks so much about values-based decision-making and how you, I mean, if you just float through life and just do the easiest thing or make a bunch of mistakes, that's not really an intentional way to live. But if you, on the other hand, say, this is what we believe and this is what's important, then the decisions that you make become easier, one, for you and your kids, and two, you start making better decisions because you're thinking before you're making those decisions. And and that's what I what I just love about it. So it, it it's not something that is onerous or too difficult to comprehend. It's really talking about what you think is important. And to be honest, I'm sure some parents have not put a lot of thought into it and this will be a beneficial exercise for them to go through. And I think that's, um, that's just going to help them so much to be able to have great conversations with their kids. Well, and I, I certainly hope that's true. I mean, regardless of, you know, how many hundreds of thousands of people decide to buy yeah. the course or what have you, um, I hope that it does help some people with precisely that process. And the other reason that I wrote this book and, and tried to put it together in a usable form for people is that I do believe that one of the most important ways of dealing with the technology issues is to understand the autonomy and agency of kids in terms of how they deal with these issues. And I'm not saying that kids should, you know, (laughs) to borrow the phrase, the kids should be left to their own devices. What I'm trying to say is that kids very early on have their opinions and their beliefs about how devices or services should be used and that we as adults should respect those or at least give them a fair hearing so that the Mm -hmm. kids have some input into shaping the family's values because they're part of the family right and and i think that when one of the things that can create problems is when you just arbitrarily try to impose things in a top-down manner and obviously Mm -hmm. right you know as a parent there are things that are not really negotiable running in the street as a three-year-old is not a negotiable item. (laughs) Um, And there are literally thousands of other examples, but when it comes to the kinds of choices that kids make with respect to devices or how they're used, those things are a little bit less black and white and, and Mm -hmm. kids deserve the opportunity to have some input in how the family will handle that. Yeah, so let's dissect that conversation just a little bit about it's not okay to run in the street when you're three years old, but it is okay when you are on the high school cross-country team 
to run in the street. And I did it as all your the time. Kids, <laughs> yeah, as your kids get older and do different things and develop more, then you allow them to do different things. And the the real problem that you and I see that we have to emphasize over and over and over again is that too often we are giving kids devices that are more powerful than we can even comprehend. And we're not talking to them about a gradual increase in responsibility, in ability or anything. We're just saying, here's the device and we're handing it over to them. And what you and I are imploring parents to do is to give them a device and have a conversation about what it can do, what's appropriate, what's not, just like we would with anything else. And it's actually not that complicated. <laughs> it's actually pretty, pretty basic <laughs> right. to say you're young and you're not ready for this. So we're not going to let you have access to that. And that's a simple conversation when it comes to running in the street. And for some reason we struggle when it comes to having that conversation with our kids around devices. Why do you think that's such a struggle? Well, there's a whole bunch of different reasons. I mean, just to play with your metaphor a little bit, one of the things that parents need to think about is that they're basically letting the kids run out into the information highway long before they're ready to understand what the implications are of that action. Look, there's a the reasons are are myriad and we could easily put a whole show around that. You know, why are parents making the choices that they're making? Well, part of it is vast amounts of marketing, right? The amount of advertising dollars that are spent in this country to promote the sale of smart devices, tablets, computers, laptops, etc., is staggering. And that doesn't even count the advertising money that we put into Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, etc., and so forth. Now, a lot of that's viral, which brings us to the peer pressure piece, right? You know, kids see what other kids are using, or they see what their older siblings are using. And as we've talked about in the past, the function of these devices is not a tremendous barrier in terms of age. That is to say, you know, your average four or five-year-old can manipulate a smartphone not that much less, you know, well than a 15-year-old. Obviously, you know, there's going to be some differences, but in terms of pressing the app button, to get into TikTok or whatever, that's pretty basic. <laughs> you know, it's not even a four or five-year-old. You can have a 10-month-old who can do that, and it does happen. So, you know, there's there's that piece of it, the peer pressure piece of it. There's the legitimate issue that, that parents themselves are often overwhelmed. And much like we worried about the TV when I was a kid, you know, there's there's a babysitter component to this, isn't there? You know, how often have you gone out to dinner pre-pandemic and seen a bunch of adults trying to have a conversation? And one of the ways they accomplish that is by handing devices to the kids, because yeah. that that's the only way that they can actually get a word in or, or concentrate on what they want to talk about. Just as an aside, there are occasionally some cultural differences. I remember years and years ago, probably two decades ago, going out to a relatively um, upscale restaurant in Quebec, which is very French in culture and background, and being absolutely stunned at the fact that these young kids would sit through a three-hour dinner without mm -hmm. blinking an eye. And that's a minor anecdote that probably can't be generalized, but 
but there's a lot of forces that play into the choices we make about how we interact with our children. Well, and let me share a very real personal example that we just experienced this week with traveling mm-hmm. down to Texas. So we we got to the airport, and as we were going to the airport, I laid out some ground rules for device use on our trip. So number one, I said, we're not going to use the devices in the airport. We're just going to use them in the plane because that's a place where I want you to be um, distracted and focused on playing a game or watching a movie or whatever the case may be. So then uh, as it turned out, our flight actually got delayed for like three hours. And so, and then our flight got changed and, you know, nightmares with, with traveling, especially with small kids. And so after waiting for about two hours, Um, And the kids were like super bored and ready to just be done uh, because, you know, that anticipation of going and then not being able to go was really (laughs) tough. So then I relented and said, okay, you can use your devices right now because it was just getting, um, they were getting too squirrely and they needed something else. We did some things. We played a couple games. We walked around, that kind of stuff. But, you know, we set ground rules and said, here's how we're going to do it. But then we also recognized that we could change as circumstances changed. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that, and honestly, Fred, I'm not saying this to toot my horn. I'm saying this because we recorded this course before we left, right? And <laughs> right. I saw how valuable it is to have the conversation with my kids. Then I said, we're going to be at our cousin's house and do not expect to have device time while we're at our cousin's house. It's just, we're, that's not how we're going to spend our time playing on devices the whole time. And so because I had that conversation we have only had one discussion about devices and the kids wanting to because they were bored and that's not a good reason to play a device because you're bored. And so we had to find a way to help them be engaged in something else. And so we've played a lot of games. We've swam in the pool. We've, you know, gone on walks. We've done all of these kinds of things, but because we talked about it beforehand, the fights about it have been almost non-existent. So instead of us feeling like this is what we have to do, we've been able to have the conversations. And so we haven't felt the need to do that. We said at the beginning, we're just not going to have device time. And that's that's all there is to it. So you're going to have your devices for the plane, but that's pretty much it. And I got to tell you, Fred, having that conversation beforehand and setting expectations appropriately was really beneficial. And like you said, when the kids could actually give their input and make suggestions on what they should do, when they asked for the devices at the airport, they were able to ask appropriately and say, Hey dad, I know you said that we can't do the do devices except on the plane, but we've been sitting here for two hours and (laughs) I can tell you're getting frustrated. Can we, can I watch a movie on my device so that I can be focused instead of just asking you what time it is every, every 30 seconds. And I got to tell you, Fred, that was a little thing, but that was, that was powerful because the conversations were able to happen. And that's what I really appreciate about that. Well, that's really, really nice to hear because that is, that is a perfect example of, of what the goal of both the book and the audio course are. Right. And, and there are two takeaways from that, that I think are really, really useful. Number one, one of the lessons that it strikes me that you are teaching your kids and, and, and which I hope other parents would do as well is is encouraging the kids to be mindful and thoughtful about why they want to use the device. So, you know, one of the things that the social media companies thrive upon is boredom, 
is their goal is to distract you from the fact that you may be bored by life or whatever. And so they want to suck you into that. And, you know, I, I really should get this tattooed at some point, but my mother's great saying that, you know, your boredom is not my problem, you know, figure out how to entertain yourself. And of course, for her, she didn't have to deal with devices, right? So it was an easier thing. She wanted us to read. And so she would like, there's a wall of books. Go find something to read. Don't bother me until you figured out how to entertain yourself. It is much, much more challenging for parents now. But the other point that I think you're illustrating with that story is that this concept of a family acceptable use policy is, is not a blood oath, right? This is not a thing that has to be written in concrete. You know, you don't have to carve it out on stone tablets to make it meaningful. It's, it's really a process that can adapt to the situation where you're just going through a conversation, an, an exchange with your kids to figure out what are, what are the guiding principles we're all going to agree on. And that level of respect for children, even when they're very young, makes a huge difference to them. You know, it yeah. gives them a sense of participation. And I think that to me, if, if more than anything else, that's what I want to come out of this particular project. Yeah, absolutely. So if you've been listening and you're like, man, this does actually sound pretty good. I'd love to have conversations with my kids like that. Um, it can happen for you too. So to get this, you'll go to gum.co slash RCK audio. That's gum.co.co slash RCK for raising cyber ethical kids audio. So, um, and if you use the code Cybertraps, then you'll get a discount. You'll be able to save 50%. So thank you for listening to the Cybertraps podcast. And you can get that discount using the code Cybertrap. So that's gum.co slash RCK audio. So hopefully you can go there. You can check it out. You can get that. It's only 15 bucks. We didn't want to break the bank, but we also wanted you to know that you are getting a lot of value in this. And it has the potential to really change your family's life for good. And uh, that code RCK audio or that code Cybertraps will, um, will help you get that discount. So Fred, let's take a minute and talk about um, how the audio course is arranged and, you know, we don't want to like go into great detail, but want to give like an overview of what, what people can expect when they're listening to it. So we, we start out by talking about the value of having a, um, a family acceptable use policy, lost the word there for a minute. <laughs> um, and then, and then we talk about the different age groups. Let's talk about how we approach different age groups in the course. Yeah, I, I think that that is a great way to give folks an overview. Let me just throw in one other thing, obviously, that if you are more of a visual learner, uh, the book is available on Amazon.com. It's also, you can click through from Cybertraps.com, which is where all of our podcast episodes are and so forth. Um, and in the book, you will see that there's a general parallel to the structure of the audio course that Jethro and I put together. And the idea behind this basically is that we, need, we do need to recognize that different age groups have different concerns, different capabilities, and so forth. So one of the goals was to figure out how to break it into logical units for this kind of discussion. So we elected to do um, the little kids, 
the little swipers, the kind of preschool kids. Um, and then we talk about um, the elementary school levels where um, actually it's still stunning to me that we're starting to see such a rise in smartphone uh, usage by mm-hmm. these kids who are between what, five and 10. Absolutely yeah. remarkable. And then of course, things shift relatively dramatically in middle school. So those conversations need to be much different. And then with what I refer to as the proto-adults of high school, you're starting to see kids who should be at a point where they can responsibly use technology and understand its implications. So mm-hmm. that, that, I think, is the overarching age split that we used. With respect to um, the audio course, we tended to focus a little bit more on themes as opposed to ages. But within each of the themes that we discuss, we break it down a little bit, you know, depending on what kinds of issues your kids will face at different ages. Mm-hmm. And recognizing that kids are going to develop differently, you know, you may not have everybody experiencing the same thing at the same age as their siblings. However, you can get this general idea and you know your kids well enough to know who's going to struggle with what at different ages. And it may be appropriate to say, typically we'd allow social media at this age, but because of this particular child's um, situation, we may adjust that to be earlier or later, depending on what's appropriate for our family. And, And those are important considerations to make because we do know the kids are different and that they're going to develop differently and that they're going to have different experiences with those things. And so we need to be aware of that. And an important point on that is that as I've talked to parents about this, almost every parent that I've talked to has said something along the lines of, I wish I never would have given my child TikTok or social media or whatever it is because they were too young. So almost everybody that I've talked to has made that mistake of giving it to their kids at too young of an age. And that's that's just a reality of the situation that kids are not as ready for that as we think. And so we strongly caution parents to make wise choices about that and and be thoughtful in when they introduce different things to their kids. That's hard, right? Because these, as we've talked about, these services and these devices are put together in such a way that the capability of using them or the capability to use those devices and services runs ahead of the understanding of what can go wrong. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we see this with smart devices, you know, smartphones in particular, that you've got examples of kids in first or second or third grade taking inappropriate photos of their classmates because they have a device that lets them do that without understanding what the potential risks are of doing that. And that's just one kind of headline grabbing example, but there's lots of other things, right? I mean, kids going on to, you know, TikTok or Instagram or whatever, and saying things to other people that they shouldn't say, or as you and I have talked about at length, seeing things that they should not see, or they're not prepared to integrate into a worldview that's meaningful and, and responsive to the values of the family. 
So, you know, I've used the phrase in the past and, and it's, I mean, you can't put the genie back in the bottle, but for those parents who have little kids or, or are thinking about having kids at some point, this idea of least feasible technology is really, mm -hmm. to my mind, the, the, the appropriate guiding principle in terms of introducing tech to kids, because you want them to be able to do whatever it is that they need to do but you want to limit as long as possible the things that they don't need or that could get them into trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that piece of limiting their exposure to those things is really what I think it all comes down to. And that's, that's where you are making a concerted effort to go back to our analogy at the beginning that you're not letting them run out into the information superhighway when they're just three years old, you you want them to get there eventually. That's the way the world is and need, they need to be a part of it. But you want to do it gradually and appropriately so that they know how to manage the device they're using before they have full access to that. And so the last part of the audio course is about enforcing a family acceptable use policy. And this is where when you think about enforcing, you think about how am I going to punish these kids for doing the wrong things? <laughs> and and I promise you, if you talk about it beforehand and kids actually have ownership in what, in what you're suggesting and they get to be part of the conversation to start it, things change and the punishment becomes a lot different and it becomes a learning opportunity that you can all get on board with, which is such a more powerful way to do it. It's more than just saying, you did this wrong and here's your punishment. It's you did this wrong, but we agreed that we were going to do this differently. So what's going on that's causing you to do things to not do what we have already discussed and planned on doing. That's a much different conversation than you're in trouble for not doing what I told you to do the first time. <laughs> right, or, or for doing this thing, which, you know, yeah. has, has embarrassed me or embarrassed yeah. us or whatever, yeah. whatever the case may be. Well, you know, absolutely. And, you know, many, many parents have discovered that if you let kids set their own punishment, it's often much more draconian yeah. than the parent <laughs> would come up with. So there's a learning lesson in there too, to, to help the kids understand what the appropriate response is for themselves. Um, but you know, as as you as the kids get older, and and you have these different um, age groups within your own family, there's a real value. Number one, to seeing to having the younger kids see how older kids are treated, right, when they make mistakes. But then conversely, bringing the older kids into the conversation about how to introduce things to the younger kids. And I'll, I'll tell you that, you know, looking back on my parent, my hands-on parenting years, um, the biggest challenge, I think, was the fact that we had a relatively good age spread. And the older kids would want to do things that they were developmentally ready to do, but then the younger kids wanted to tag along. And that that's probably the most difficult thing. And I think that we could have done a better job at making the older kids more active partners in trying to sh not shield, but, but just delay the exposure of the younger kids. That would have been better. Yeah, that's, that's such a good point. And I feel like I'm so, um, so fortunate that my oldest daughter has down syndrome because she has forced us 
by having that disability to have these kinds of conversations in a different way with all of our kids. And so what we've been able to say to our kids numerous times is, yes, things are different for her because of the situation that she's in. So there are things that she can't do. There are things that we don't want her to do. And there are other things that she is very good at that we should encourage as much as possible. The reality is, is that's how it is with all of our kids. And (laughs) the difference is, is that the day she was born and they told us that she had Down syndrome, we had a, an idea of what her life would be like with the rest of our kids. We have no idea what challenges, trials, struggles, gifts, abilities they're going to have throughout their life. So we feel very fortunate that we've had her first to like help us set expectations and to say, you know, some of these things just aren't going to work and we need to approach them differently. Mm. And, and that has been such, such a blessing in our lives. And I'm so grateful for that because it's really helped me understand that every kid has, has strengths, gifts, and challenges. That's just how the world is. And I, uh, ashamedly think that I didn't realize that um, before I had her and that I thought that everybody was just mostly normal. And now I realize that that's not the case. <laughs> As I get older and older, I, I am increasingly convinced that the world word normal has virtually no meaning. <laughs> exactly. That is so true. <laughs> yeah. um, that's, that's a really powerful point, uh, Jethro. And, and thank you for sharing that because that's, that's wonderful for people to hear. And it also underscores, I think, the fundamental message of raising cyberethical kids, right? That it is really at its core about the partnership that we bring to being a family. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's, it's in a way an involuntary partnership because you don't choose your family members. But, but a good chunk of that is learning how to adapt to the situation and including people in the conversations that make the partnership work better. And and that I think is really the goal of these family acceptable use policies. What are the values that we want to demonstrate or to uh, events as a family? And what role or how does technology affect our ability to do that? So that's one way. And then the other way actually, which I think is even more powerful is we've agreed that these are the values that we have as a family. We want to be empathetic. We want to be kind. We want to be decent to other people. How do we carry those values into our use of technology? And and what should we do if we fall short of that, right? If Mm -hmm. we're not kind, if we're not decent to other people, what are the consequences? As you said, which I thought was brilliant, what's, what's leading us to not do that? And how do we prevent it going forward, which is both an educational piece as well as potentially a punitive piece, depending on the facts of the situation. Mm -hmm. And being open to both of those responses as well is very important. Um, You can't just say you make a mistake, you're punished. You have to recognize what's the circumstances that led up to this and how, how do we navigate that situation now? Right. And it, it can be. And, and, you know, it's, it, we're human too. So it's, it's right. we're not always going to react perfectly. <laughs> Definitely were times when I did not react as well as I would like to have done so. But I think that, you know, having some flexibility 
which again is made easier by having these conversations ahead of time, as you demonstrated, but having some flexibility in how you respond to a given set of circumstances is important. And it may be that you've previously discussed some punishment, but then there are facts that arise, which suggests that, well, maybe this should be an educational moment, not a punitive moment, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But, yeah. uh, you know, over, overall, the more you and your children can discuss the relationship between values and technology, the easier this all is. Yeah, absolutely. So we are talking about the Raising Cyberethical Kids audio course, which we invite you to go and get gum.co slash RCK audio and use the code Cybertraps uh, as a thank you for listening to this podcast. Please go get that. It'll help you and your family. Um, if you know somebody who who needs it, then uh, send them there or buy it for them and send it over to them. We'll let you do that. Um <laughs> And that that's that'll be fantastic. What what Fred and I have really tried to do with this is make it so that it is less daunting to establish and talk about expectations with your family. We really think that we've done that. And if you have feedback, uh, as a side note, based you know on the feedback we've gotten so far, we have five stars already on all the people who have downloaded it so far. So I mean that's pretty exciting. So thank you to those people who did rate it. That's that's awesome. Um, but really hope that you uh, find some benefit from that. And um, I, I know that I already did in my family just after recording it. So I think you'll be able to see some benefit from that as well. Great. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see feedback. We will be hopefully adding to our list of courses in the not too distant future. Uh, as we alluded to earlier, things will be a little hectic for the next few weeks, but yeah. um, <laughs> but uh, come the summer, we've got a handful of different ideas that I think we'll be putting out there for folks to uh, listen to and incorporate into various aspects of their lives, and we're excited by it. It's a great, mm-hmm. great resource. Okay, well, that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and, as we did today, the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and rewards of digital technology, and we do encourage people to listen to just such an international guest, Dr. Tom Harrison, in the upcoming episode. And you can find the Cybertraps podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have questions or topic suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you're still listening, you must have enjoyed this podcast. So please leave us a five-star rating and review in your podcast service. And one last final call to go out and get the Raising Cyberethical Kids audio course at gum.co slash RCK audio. And don't forget to use the code Cybertraps to get a 50% discount. Thank you for being here. And we look forward to having you join us for our next episode with Dr. Tom Harrison on Thursday.
There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.